0: This show is made possible by SparkleGenieProducts.com. Earth-friendly cleaning products made in the USA. Safe for kids, safe for pets, safe for you. Save 20% off your first order when you use discount code SPIRITS at SparkleGenieProducts.com. Spirits and more radio. Like touch my shoulder or touch my hair.
1: Starts now. And I said, "What the hell is that?" I'm
0: scared. Spirits and more radio
1: starts now.
0: And welcome to episode seven of Spirits and More Radio got a great show today. We're talking about haunted Hollywood, so stay with us. I never believed in things that I couldn't see. I said, if I can't feel it, then how could it be? No, no magic could happen to me. And then I saw you. I couldn't
1: believe it. You took my heart. I couldn't retrieve it. Said to myself, what's it all?
0: Turn down the lights, if you
1: dare. Spirits and more radio.
0: And I am very excited because uh, we're going to be talking about Haunted Hollywood, and there's so much that's happened in Hollywood, and and so many tragedies, and so many success stories and so forth, that uh, there's no doubt that there's tons to talk about, and so many ghosts that people tend to see in the Hollywood area. So uh, before we get into the show, though, I did want to say happy birthday to one of our listeners out there, Jasmine, Uh, very happy birthday to you, and also shout out to Katie Brand, for uh, tweeting to us how much she loves the show thank you Katie uh, if you are on Twitter be sure you uh, send messages to us we love to get those uh, and if you're listening to the show live you can always tweet to us at spirit radio live today and we will see those in the studio uh, you can also call in at 1-872-2-Ghost uh, and uh, join in on the show we're going to probably take calls in the second half of this show if we do get some callers in uh, and we'll go for from there. Uh, our guest today uh, has written, oh, I think nine books on hauntings, uh, including Idiot's Guide to Ghosts and Hauntings, as well as Haunted Hollywood. Uh, he's been a panelist for American Horror Story, uh, and also he is a professional magician who performs regularly at Hollywood's Magic Castle. Uh, Tom Ogden is with us here today. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, good to be here.
0: Yeah, so um, Tom. Now you, uh, we talked a little bit before the show, and uh, you you wanted to. Are uh, you sort of uh, distinguished yourself in a in a way different from a lot of our guests who have been on this show? Uh, we've had paranormal investigators, and we've had people who have experienced paranormal things that they just couldn't explain, uh, and then we've had people who uh, d- seem to do supernatural things. So uh, you're you're a little bit mm-hmm. different. You're an author. Author, and you've written these books, uh, and you you refer to yourself as a paranormal journalist.
1: Yes, I I while I have had unusual experiences, uh, unexplainable things that have happened to me, they weren't of a paranormal nature. Generally, I didn't think they were ghost-related sort of things, but my background is magic, so I came not as a complete skeptic, I come as wanting to be a believer, but I also know um, how easy it is. I know how easy as a magician it is to fool people. So I know how easy it is for people to see things that are not there. Not out of a malicious sense, just out of how prone people are to see and believe illusions. So my... Approach came uh, as, a, as an author rather than a ghost hunter. Right. I uh, did not go out and stake out places, I would collect stories um, and write about them.
0: Right. And when you talk about some of the things you know as a magician um, that allow, uh, that magicians use to uh, do their magic and uh, illusions and so forth, that was real popular with the seances back uh, in the 1860s through 90s. Um, They were using lots of those same type of techniques, weren't they?
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, I would say that was more so than than today. Today, uh, that type of mediumship and that type of meeting to contact the spirits, very seldom do you see someone holding a that style of a seance where people sit around a table and join hands and try to connect spirits. Uh, but back back in the 1800s, uh, when you turned out the lights, it was pitch black i mean there were not there wasn't ambient light coming in from underneath the curtains it was right. dark and just about anything could be done in the dark and we all know that in complete darkness uh your other senses try to compensate uh in ways that they don't normally have to do so you think you hear things that you're not used to hearing or uh, a gentle touch can feel like someone grabbing you by the shoulder. Uh, unexpected things uh, startle you much more. There may be a ring of a bell that later you describe as church bells pealing. You know what I'm saying? Everything right. amplified was amplified in that and in that times, and m- magicians uh techniques of being able to uh, escape from a cabinet um or being able to reach to the other side of the room using its extenders uh, and certainly the use of confederates all come from the world of magic um, and a confederate you for, for our listeners Paladino.
0: yeah i was going to say for our listeners explain a confederate
1: uh in in the worst possible connotation, a stooge. Someone who is working with you, who is you have pre planned what you're going to do. Uh the, there was a uh famous female medium Paladino who was who was caught many times that someone either unexpectedly turned on the lights or something went wrong. And it was caught that somehow she had gotten her hand free in the circle and she would explain it away by saying, well, today I had to produce something for the non-believers so that we can start them on the path of belief but I don't do this all the time <laughs> I see and 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 you know it does make Sense. If anyone ever tells your listeners that for $100 on Tuesday night, they can get them in touch with their deceased mother, you run from that person <laughs> because spirits don't work on a timetable. No one can guarantee that they can produce uh, phenomena at a given time or right. place. Right. Uh, whereas the mediums, that, that was 1890s showbiz. I mean, they had to produce something. You couldn't just sit there in the dark and have people think they got their, uh, not always their money, but at least their evenings worth.
0: Right, right. So how does that tie in to modern day, uh, what you have done going out and, and I, I don't want to say investigate, because I think the people think of you're out there with meters and, you know, special right. thermal cameras and things like that, but... You, you sort of investigative journalism, so to speak. So you go out there, and now you are you have to weigh out uh, lots of things when you go to a site that's supposedly haunted. Can you kind of walk us through how you do that and what sort of questions you ask?
1: Well, yes. First of all, I, I ask very few questions at first. Uh, I have found that the... Answering, asking the question colors the answer. I would much, I find it much more valuable to go t- to a place that I've heard is haunted, and I'll ask the person, "Has anything ever happened here, or to you, or that you've heard about?" And if they say yes, all I say is, "Tell me about it," because if I say did you see something, was it big, Uh, was it distinct? I don't want them suddenly remembering what I'm suggesting they think they should have seen. Do you know know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I
1: will do follow-up questions, oh, how often did you see that, oh, did it always look the same, oh, you didn't see anything but you felt something, what exactly did you feel? Um, but more often my, uh, be- because the investigations were being done for books, my editor publishers specifically wanted places that people could visit. So there were very few private homes or places that were not open to the public. I see. And because how did- they... Right they didn't want, yeah,
0: I was going to say, how did you how did you choose those places? Were they chosen for you, or did you sort of uh, how, what was that process like?
1: Well, um, let me tell you how I got into it in the first place, and that may answer the question. I had written a book for the Idiots Guide series, an instructional series that is the competition series to the dummies series. That everybody knows, you know, DOS for dummies, computers for dummies, and there is a a competition series called uh... The Complete Idiots Guide Two, and they were originally how two books, and I wrote their mag first magic book. I've written two for them now, but the first was The Complete Idiots Guide to Magic Tricks. And when it was in proof pages, the editor said to me, we're getting into lifestyle books as well. Not necessarily how to do something, but people who are interested in a subject, this is their primer. This is their first book. And we want to do one on ghosts and hauntings. Uh, Can you write a book on The complete idiots' guide to ghosts and hauntings? And I flippantly asked, there's uh, a pay in advance against royalties? And he said, yes. And I said, then I know everything there is to know about Ghosts and politics. Right. And I knew nothing. You know, I knew what magicians knew, but not the spirit investigation world and the, and the paranormal society world.
0: Yes. And, um, so and what, I, was, what was, Tom, what was your. Feeling on the paranormal and ghost? I mean did you, were you uh, a complete skeptic? Did you believe that there could be the possibility of something? Where were you coming from at that moment?
1: I was a, uh, while being a skeptic, I was a skeptic because I had never talked to anyone directly who had had an experience. Uh, I But because I was a magician, I knew that there were things beyond people's understanding. For instance, um, I hate to go down this sidetrack, but we'll do it anyway. I'll do it anyway. Uh, People claim to have seen UFOs. Well, they have. By definition, it's an unidentified flying object. But is that a flying saucer full of little green men, that's another leap to make. Yes. But I believe they saw something that they couldn't identify, and they've identified it as being an alien craft. Uh, Likewise people believing in in Bigfoot. Is it a hairy humanoid uh, of another species that yet to be discovered? That's yet to be proven or disproven, but people still see that sort of thing in the woods. So that's how where I came to ghosts. People were seeing things. There has not been definitive proof, but I'm curious and would love to believe that it's true.
0: I see and with that Tom we're going to take a little break Uh, you're listening to spirits and more radio and uh, we're talking with Tom Ogden who is an author of many many books on the spirits and ghosts and uh, we're going to get into some of those stories when we return right after this
1: spirits and more radio follow us on Twitter
0: Facebook and Instagram. This show is made possible by sparkle genie products.com. Earth friendly cleaning products made in the USA safe for kids, safe for pets, safe for you save 20% off your first order. When you use discount codes spirits at sparkle genie uh. back. Don't be afraid. And we are here with Tom Ogden for our show on Haunted Hollywood. And uh, Tom has written lots of books on uh, paranormal haunting sites. And We are just talking uh, with Tom about how he ended up Writing these books and uh, that he uh, had never really spent much time thinking about the haunted is that right Tom
1: right now there were members of my family who have seen ghosts my brother-in-law Randy who's actually now deceased so who knows we may be seeing him as a ghost (laughs) Um, Randy told me when he was 13 uh, his grandmother died and his grandmother was a devout catholic and she always carried a rosary a set of rosary beads with her uh... it was actually a necklace rosary uh... that you could take off it if you doubled it in your hand then you could hold it as a hand rosary Um, And everyone in the family knew that when she died she wanted to be buried with it and uh... when they, they came, they couldn't find it they searched everywhere in the house uh, but they couldn't find a rosary, so of course she had to be buried without it. A couple of months go by. Randy and his older brother, who was around fifteen at the time, uh were in his grandmother's old bedroom, and in the back of one of her dresser drawers, they found the set of rosaries. Randy, being a little kid, told me he put it over his you know, over his head, put it on his necklace, and he turns to his brother, says, tries to do an imitation, he says, Look, I'm grandma and he said, At that instant, something grabbed the necklace from behind and started pulling it back, choking him. Oh. Not as if it was trying to kill him or hurt him, but whatever it was wanted those beats and was trying wow. to take them back. Wow. And he, he said, finally, he, he gets them off, drops them on the floor, and the boys run out of the room. Uh, a couple hours, they come back and gingerly pick them up. And let's just say they never played with the, their grandmother's rosary beads again. Right, yeah. Uh, now, when Randy told me this story, I wasn't writing ghost books yet. So he wasn't telling it to me like, hey, maybe you'll tell my story in your book and there was no reason the more the stories i believe most are the ones in which people have no reason to lie and it could actually hurt their reputation by telling the story when i hear a story from a judge or a lawyer or in this case my brother-in-law who didn't want me to think him crazy or stupid you know or a weirdo um uh, so those stories I tend to believe most uh yeah. and I'll give you a very a quick story which yeah. is it's not a ghost story but something that happened to me. Okay. When I was 21 the, the man who started me in magic uh gave me a ring a magician's trademark ring that had been given to him on his 21st birthday by the man who started him in magic. Uh I wore it um on the way to a play rehearsal theater rehearsal in college i took it off because wearing it it looked like a wedding ring and i was playing a character that was uh definitely a bachelor and uh and it fell out of my pocket and Coming back from the theater, I knew it must have fallen out of my pocket in this field the size of a football field, where I had crossed from my dorm to the theater, and I went back and forth there twenty, thirty times. Finally, I I was crying that I had lost this. I gave up, was walking back to the dorm, and I stubbed my toe on a rock, fell to my face, and when I looked at the stone I had tripped over the ring was sitting at my toes. <laughs> now, the man who gave it to me was still alive. So this isn't a ghost story. But it made me believe that there are psychic connections that we just don't understand. Uh, to yeah. quote the x file motto, there's something out there.
0: Yeah. And Tom and, Tom, I'm gonna to stop you right there because I yep. want I wanna share a story with you that ties right into your oh. rings ring story. And I think you're going to find it interesting. Um, I happen to be in the metal detecting hobby. And uh, sometimes I help people find lost things. And uh, I had an interesting thing happen with a ring. This was probably four years ago now. Uh, It was uh, a cold, windy day in San Diego, which is unusual. Uh, It was Valentine's Day. uh, And I received a call about... 8.30, 8.45 in the night. uh, That time of year in February, it's already dark by then. uh, And it was a frantic girl who had lost her wedding ring along with her grandmother's wedding ring. Uh, She had gone to the beach with her kids in the day uh, and a neighbor. And for some reason, she left early, uh, left her kids with the neighbor uh, who packed everything up and came home with everything when they were done being at the beach. Uh, One, uh, when she called me and said that this is what happened, uh, I didn't have high hopes for finding the ring. Uh, The reason being, she didn't pack herself up. Uh, Secondly, when she left the beach, she had no uh, idea that she was going to lose her ring that day. So uh, her recollection of where exactly she sat on the beach probably uh, mm. wouldn't be that good. You know, when you're at the beach, you, you, uh, your landmarks in the sand are typically somebody's umbrellas to the left of me and there's a family to the right of me. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of good landmarks uh, on a big stretch of beach and sand. So um, I I met her out there. It was very cold and windy, unusually so. And we went to um, the sand and she walked me around and she sort of walked 10 feet to the left and 20 feet to the right and turned around and looked at the ocean and looked back at the shore uh, or looked back at the boardwalk. And she walked and she said, try right here first, and I'm going to walk to the parking lot and see if maybe it's somewhere around the, where we were parked. And I said, okay. So I turned on the metal detector, and I swiped it once and twice. She had gotten about 35, 40 feet away from me, and as soon as I swiped and took one step forward, it went off, and I reached down into the sand and picked up her ring. And I followed her. I chased after her to get her attention. And it's loud at the beach with the sound of the ocean and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, and she said, there's no way you found it. And I said, it was exactly where you took me to. Uh, and it happened to be her grandmother's ring that I had found because she wears both her grandmother's ring and her wedding ring. Mm-hmm. And we went back and close by where her grandmother's ring was her ring. And we found that but uh I, I thought that that was uh so unusual and and the circumstances you know were so against finding that ring and uh and then also uh for for us to find it in the connection that one of the rings was her grandmother's, and that was the one that I found first was uh seemed unusual to me and and definitely not normal and definitely against all odds
1: and uh Now, my older sister would tell me that it had been a different type of spirit, that it had been my guardian angel looking out for me. Ah, yes. Who had helped guide me there. Um, We've had experiences like that in my family. One of my sisters was in a near-fatal accident. um, And while she was... I guess alone on the side of the road, hoping that someone would report there was an accident, that a truck, that an EMT or what ambulance would come. Because a woman appeared by her side and said, I'm a nurse. I will stay here with you, and held her hand until she finally heard an ambulance come up. Guys rush up with a stretcher, and my sister looks over and says, Thank the nurse who was here and the ambulance guy says there was no one here there wasn't even a car pulled off on the side of the road near you hmm.
0: uh
1: so uh, she truly believes that that was her guardian angel who had appeared to keep her alive until emergency help could that get there yeah. so there have been experiences in my in my direct immediate family even though I have not had a Ghost experience or paranormal experience—unusual things to happen enough that make me open to it.
0: Right. So tell us about um, as you as you got out, uh, coming from that background, uh, you then uh, were uh, set up to do this book, and you went out and you started to talk to people. Um, what was one of the the first well, places? Well, actually,
1: most of my. Actually most of my research, and I hate to admit this, is second hand. I did not do primary research first, because you asked before the first break uh how I picked the sites yes. that I was going to investigate. Well, first you had to canvas what other people had said and now that we're in an internet world it makes it much easier than my first book that was all done in libraries through books. Um, Now, yes, I can put out a call. Uh, Has anyone ever seen anything here or there? Uh, But first, I wanted to... I would own... Because these were for books, not just for personal journals. I knew how many stories I needed, uh, how many pages I needed. So... I would look for places that had, for lack of a better term, some meat and potatoes to the story. Not just someone saying, oh, I once felt a presence there. Or when I walked by, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Uh, There had to be a sighting or an experience um, or a telekinetic movement. There had to be something that happened but in addition to that it had to be a fascinating person or the venue had to be interesting or the type of haunting had to be unusual i'll give you a quick example in my book on haunted colleges and universities i told a story at Coe college which is in 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 iowa not Illinois, in iowa uh there was a young student named Helen Roberts. She died of a mo- pneumonia during the flu pandemic in 1918. Her father, in her memory, gave a grandfather clock to her dorm uh, hall, Voorhees Hall, and they put it on a landing going up, you know, up the staircase. And on the anniversary of her death, supposedly at midnight, every year her ghost could be seen emerging walking out of the grandfather clock and would go downstairs to the lobby piano and start to play piano play the piano wow. to the point that this legend was so well founded that the sorority girls because there was a, a sorority I think it was Delta 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 was in that hall would as a group, stay up till midnight on October 19th to see if they can see the ghost come out, come out. And it supposedly continued for years until the, I don't know if it was the president or the dean, uh, moved the clock to stop the, the legend, the rumors, and moved it into his office or outside his office, and the haunting stopped. Um, but that was a very odd haunting. Not just she came back and she could be seen walking the halls. She came back to a grandfather clock that her father had donated in her memory. Right. So that was a fascinating story. There was something more to... to latch on to right, it
0: right, yeah, and, and those
1: are the stories that fascinated me
0: Yeah, and we're going to hear some more of those stories right after we get back from this we're with Tom Ogden and he's the author of many uh, books including Haunted Hollywood and uh, we're going to hear one of his favorite stories from the Hollywood area as far as hauntings uh, remember you can uh, tweet to us uh, you can also call in at 1-872-244-6787 if you have uh, questions or comments that you want to add to this show here in the second half. We'll be right back. And now it's time for... Haunted... Places. The House of Death is a townhouse on West 10th Street in New York City and has been called the most haunted building in New York. It is said that twenty-two ghosts reside in this home known as the House of Death. Mark Twain lived here from 1900 until 1901 and claimed that he himself had experienced supernatural events. Throughout the years, 14 West 10th Street was the site of several horrifying incidents, a murder-suicide, and the beating to death of a six-year-old girl named Lisa Steinberg at the hands of her adopted father. Residents have even seen Mark Twain himself ascend the staircase in a white suit. So the next time you are in New York, just be glad you're not a spirit trapped in the house of death. And we're back with Tom Ogden talking about haunted Hollywood. Uh, Tom, before we get into uh, one of the stories that you wrote about in your book, um, there seems to be, you don't hear a lot about hauntings of new people. A lot of these stories are centered around very... Uh, People from a long time ago. Um, But there have been some things in Hollywood, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson and uh, some things with John Holmes in the 79 time frame. Um, In all the stories that you did, uh, those probably wouldn't be, well, the Nicole Simpson would probably be something that uh, people could go to that area and fall within that uh, criteria for you. But did you have any similar stories like that in newer hauntings?
1: They could, except her house has been torn down. Right. In other words, if you went to the address, it's not that house anymore. They've uh, they have a new owner, and they to stop people from staying and gawking. They they built something new on the property.
0: Yeah, something. Uh, but different.
1: again, you couldn't go into it. You couldn't go onto the grounds.
0: So, what is one of the places uh, that you did write about that people can go to?
1: Well. The one I'm going to tell you, I don't know whether he, how easy it is to get to it anymore because they just changed the law the last month in uh, here in Hollywood, and and it's the most iconic thing in Hollywood, which is the Hollywood sign, um, and people people always want to get close to it just to begin with, but in 1926 an aspiring actress named Peggy and uh she had moved she was a broadway actress she was brought out to do a play here in Hollywood with a young Humphrey Bogart and Billy Burke who later would be the good witch of the witch the good witch of the east i guess it was in the uh uh Wizard of Oz movie, Um, and she got a role in a movie called Thirteen Women, and she thought this was going to be her launch into a successful movie career. She was a very pretty, blonde, ingenue, exactly what you think of of a young starlet. In the early tests of the movie, it was too long, the story dragged, they re-edited the film, and all but cut her role out. A uh, little more than what would be today called a cameo, and she got no other immediate offers. And then the RKO, the movie studio, de- declined to pick up her the option on her contract. Now, today, I think we would think that was oh, there's that's a bad. If it were you or I, we'd probably say, oh, it's a setback, but we'll come back roaring even stronger. Well, she was very depressed over it and could not be consoled, and she walked up Beechwood Canyon Drive, where she lived, uh, up Beechwood, climbed to the top of the H on the Hollywood sign, jumped off, and committed suicide.
0: Wow.
1: Uh It was two days back then the sign did not say Hollywood. It said Hollywood land because that the sign was built as an advertising billboard for a subdivision of housing called Hollywood Land. Up in that part of the Hollywood Hills on Mount Lee. Yeah, I had heard that. And at the foot of Mount Lee. Yeah. And eventually when it was falling down, long after the Hollywood land realty company was out of business they got this they gave the sign to the city and the city tore down the land 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 and just kept hollywood up there and of course there have been many refurbishments over the years but it was still hollywood land at that time there was a caretaker at that time because there were light bulbs on the sign uh, that he had to keep up and she went up climbed up got the caretaker's ladder Leaned it against the back of the sign. When she she there was a suicide note in her purse that she had left with her uh, shoes and jacket at the foot of of the the H, but she didn't sign it completely. She signed it with the initials P E. Uh, the newspapers picked this the Hollywood Sign girl up, you know, as a tabloid story. This un, unknown woman. And it took two days till her uncle, that she was staying with there, an aunt, realized that their missing niece was the Hollywood Sign girl. They thought she had just gone off to stay with some friends for a couple of days. Uh, uh. Her ghost started appearing almost immediately. People would be uh, would see a young woman walking up through the shrubs trying to climb up toward the sign they would see a uh, someone standing on the top of the H that has happened enough to modern times that I'm told at least I first heard this in the 90s that the local police precinct uh, station was still getting telephone calls from people saying hey there's someone up on the on the Hollywood sign you have to go get them down
0: Wow. And of course, by
1: the time they get there...
0: Yeah, and that's that's interesting because, um, you know, from the police perspective, they have to respond and everything, and I've been up near the Hollywood sign, and there's tons of people jogging and walking all around there, so uh, there's lots of eyeballs close to that sign and looking at that. Yes. So, um, even to this day, do, do you have any information that even to this day they still get calls like that?
1: I have not heard of it in the last 10 years or so now, but these calls are still coming in even after the cameras had gone in. So they didn't, nothing's ever been captured on cameras because it is now illegal Uh, up to the seventies. You could still walk up the Hill and touch the signs. Mm Uh, and, and for liability purposes and for safety purposes, because the, the, uh, cliff is sort of eroding beneath them. Uh, they just don't want people going up up to them. And they don't want vandalism. Uh, so they've installed sensor, motion sensor, cameras, and alarms, so that if anyone does pass by, the police are going to come by. But I have not heard of anything being captured on, on video. Uh, but as I said, 1990 is not that long ago, 20 years ago, they were still at least getting phone calls from people that had seen, thought they saw something up there. And the other part of the haunting that ties in is that often people just standing there looking, if they see some movement that they think might be the girl, they have, smell the scent of gardenias, even if the flowers are not in season. And that was her favorite perfume hmm. it was a gardenia scented perfume. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so that is probably the iconic ghost story because of the, of where it takes place.
0: Yeah. Now have you, um, uh, I, I did a little bit of uh, research myself um, and, and one of the spots and I'm not quite sure uh, if you're, if you're tied into this or not, but uh, the famous mobster uh, Bugsy Siegel uh, murdered in the Hollywood Hills, Right.
1: No, he was buried in his lover's uh, house in Beverly Hills.
0: Beverly Hills, not up in
1: the hills, but in her house. It was on the flats in in the residential area of Beverly Hills.
0: And he was murdered there. Not up there. in the Hollywood Hills, right? And he was murdered yes. there.
1: and uh, uh, he was actually he was actually set up. It was a hit because her his she he was dating a, a a woman connected with the mob, and. Uh, she was taking a convenient vacation in Switzerland when <laughs> the uh other hitman came down and fired through the picture window at the front of the house.
0: Right. So she wasn't at the Flamingo in Las Vegas. She got further away than that. Uh, and I Well, heard-
1: I yes.
0: And I heard that... Uh, well, I
1: heard she was in Switzerland, but she definitely was not in town.
0: Right. And I've heard that in that home, and I, and we tweeted a picture of that home out. It's I believe that's still mm-hmm. there in, in Beverly Hills. Um, in that home, the word has been that uh, people see a spirit of someone near where the couches are in the living room where, where he was. Uh, yes. And then also that... Uh, The presidential suite at the Flamingo in Las Vegas also supposedly has uh, Haunted activity where he lived for a long period of time. I understand
1: Yes, and also he lived also in a bungalow out back But when they refurbished the bungalow, which was not a bungalow, I mean it was a separate luxurious little ranch house building they took a lot of the furnishings and moved them to the presidential suite. Like the gold plated faucets and things like that, they moved up into the presidential suite. So even if it was even if his ghost had not been originally in the president oh, and the listeners may not know, he he funded and started the Flamingo Hotel right. in Vegas. That's why there's the connection there. Right. Uh but yes. Uh And and it's interesting because the two sides of that story are the two reasons that it's theorized ghosts return most often. Places they felt safe, like the flamingo, and places where tragedy, murder, extreme violence took place, uh, which was his murder site.
0: Yes, and and also there's I love
1: the stories
0: Yes. Oh, I was going to say, and there's also two two seems, two seems types of hauntings, if you want to call them hauntings, is that the playback of a scene where the person was killed, seeing that almost loop like a, a video playback versus uh, a spirit or entity that's interactive with the occupants of the space. Right. Yeah, so... An um,
1: active versus a residual haunting.
0: Yes, and, yes.
1: And the residual hauntings, are, you could tell because they do they the spirit does not interact with you if you call out to it it doesn't it doesn't react in any way it will walk through furniture or through a wall because there used to be a door there or there didn't used to be a table there uh, or a building that the floor level has changed so it looks as if they're walking. You don't see their feet. They're walking on their shins. Well, no, they're walking on at the level the floor was when they were there. Yes. Uh,
0: And and there's another tie in to the Bugsy Siegel Las Vegas is Howard Hughes in Las Vegas. As some people may know, he spent a great deal of time in a hotel out there and sort of occupied it for and ended up buying a bunch of hotels out there. But uh, he spent time (laughs) in Los Angeles in Hollywood. And I'm told that the Pantages Theater uh, is a place where people believe they see him.
1: Well, he bought it. He bought the Pantages. It's an investment from Pantages. And he, at the time that he had a movie studio and was doing Airplane Flight, let's say it would have been uh, the time period of the movie The Aviator, if anyone had seen that. Uh, He uh, would have been in his 30s, I guess, or early 40s. And his offices were in the second floor. Uh, The Pantages is a grand... Theater, but it is in a building that covers almost a city block. Uh, so there are other office buildings as well. Right next door, there is a uh, there's a bar that is also supposedly haunted. Um, I had a buddy who who had a memorabilia shop in one of the storefronts there, uh. but. Hughes used to have a, there used to be a doorway that went from his offices on the second floor to the rear of the balcony of the theater so that when he wanted to get away and just think by himself, he could walk through there and sit in the back of the empty theater.
0: I see. So that is the tie. More, that guess. is, right. That's the tie into his uh, place that he right. may have liked to, to relax at. Um, let's, we're going to take a quick so now break here. So, in oh, the offices okay.
1: themselves, they'll see drawers move and things like that. Uh,
0: I see. We'll get right back to that. We're going to take a quick break here. You're listening to Spirits and More Radio. Uh, we're talking with Tom Ogden, author of Haunted Hollywood. Uh, and uh, we will be right back after this. are listening to Spirits and More Radio. Have a paranormal story? Tell us at spooksandspirits.com. some more radio, we're talking Haunted Hollywood and uh, other places near Hollywood uh, in the general vicinity uh, so Howard Hughes um, in his theater uh, would relax, you were saying Tom, it was sort of a little getaway for him and uh, in his office you said they see the door the drawers open
1: they'll hear, hear commotion inside the his former office And, you know, when they walk in, no one's in the building. No one's inside. Uh. By the way, during the break, I took a look. Um, They probably won't like me giving it out, but the address (laughs) of the house in Beverly Hills where uh, Bugsy Siegel was gunned down was 810 Linden Drive. Now, it is a private residence. Do not go up and knock on the door. But it is visible from the from the street. There's no hedge or fences in front that you could drive by and see how they probably staked it out and which window they shot through.
0: Right. Now one of uh what were some some of the other stories covered in Haunted Hollywood, your book Haunted Hollywood?
1: Well, I I stuck primarily with the uh the main stories, The uh, at the time, there was a very famous haunted mirror inside the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, uh, in which Marilyn appeared, Marilyn Monroe, of course. Uh, Marilyn used to use the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel that opened the same year as the Chinese Theater across the street, where the handprints are. Um, she would use that as a getaway, and she'd often go up to the 12th floor penthouse suite, um,
0: I understand that was where her first uh, photo shoot was at the pool at the Roosevelt as well. Yes,
1: by the pool, by the pool area. uh, Which would be significant for her. Not the naked ones that that later went into the calendar, (laughs) but just the in the bathing suit ones that uh, were her first publicity shots were shot at poolside. I see. Yes, Um, And uh, a maid was cleaning the room after... After this is now, this is after Marilyn had passed and was cleaning the mirror, and she thought she saw the very recognizable Marilyn Monroe touching up her makeup, standing behind her on her shoulder. And when the maid turns, Marilyn stopped there. Uh, the story gets out among the staff very quickly, and the manager of the hotel apparently took the the mirror which is a was a is a long vertical mirror um a full length dressing mirror in other words uh into his office just to get it away from people who wanted to you know, play with it <laughs> look at it uh and then later the hotel got a sense of humor about it there were so many people asking about it that they moved it into the lobby so that people could then they didn't put a sign there saying this is the haunted Maryland mirror. And then they eventually, and this is my favorite part of the story, they moved it downstairs next to the elevators near the valet stand and catty-cornered to it. In other words, in the adjacent wall, they put a full-length poster of Marilyn Monroe. Hmm. So if you stood just right. <laughs> you could take a picture of yourself in the mirror with Marilyn standing over your shoulder. I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing. Tom, but They didn't it, tell it's, anybody it's about it. It's a
0: shame that that mirror's gone. I mean, it makes me sad to hear I that. I know. I, I've been to the Roosevelt. Uh, and, I spent and, time there.
1: And they packed it up, you know, in storage when they, uh, a new owner bought the hotel and they, during the refurbishment, they they packed it up and I have heard, although I have not been able to corroborate, I've heard that it was bought by Lindsay Lowen. Mm. back when she did that, was it Vogue? Did a magazine spread in which she was dressed as Marilyn Monroe.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I heard that over that period she had heard the story about the mirror and decided to buy it. Uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, the current management just doesn't want to talk about it.
0: Well, if Lindsay's uh, and, listening, she can they call they did in. not
1: put it on... Yes. <laughs> they didn't put it back on display because uh, they really didn't want people who were not staying at the hotel coming in just to see the mirror and then go out again. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't want to make it a tourist stop.
0: And for people who haven't been uh, which to the... I understand. Yeah, for people who haven't been at the Roosevelt, uh, just to key you into this, uh, it's a very dark uh hotel on the inside it's not bright and modern it's still uh very much the way it was uh back in in those days and um it does have a creepy vibe in there it's it's um I, i'm always surprised when i go in there at night how dark the hotel is and uh yes. it's, it's also the and area
1: many wanted to go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, and it's sort of, uh, there's this big grand room when you walk in to the hotel that's very tall uh, with uh, older furniture where people can sit around and there's a bar there uh, and a restaurant. In uh, the area that you're talking about with this mirror is actually down a set of stairs and you have to go to the very far back side of the hotel where the valet is, so um where the mirror was. Um, Another spot just down the street from the Roosevelt uh, that I've heard um, stories is uh, the old Ciro restaurant, which is now the Comedy Store.
1: Right. Uh, Well, it's actually, it is not in downtown Hollywood, such as that is. It's about a mile, maybe even a mile and a half, up what is on the Sunset Strip. And Ciro, it started as Ciro's, which was a fancy nightclub. You know, the nightclub era in the 1940s. It actually opened in 39. And it, wa- it, was, it was owned by the man who financed the building of the Flamingo Hotel. Oh. Uh, that Bugsy brought him into that deal. But his name was Wilkerson. And um, it was, he had mob connections, and it was rumored that the basement was used for Mickey Cohen uh, for enforcement. You know, if they had to beat some knowledge out of someone or that maybe even murders took place back there, supposedly illegal abortions were done down there as well. Um, There are still... uh, Little holes in the wall that people have claimed they were machine gun holes from uh, back then, but they're not. They're, they're, they were peepholes that the uh, members of the gangs could look out from inside on the Sunset Boulevard to see who was pulling up, so that they wouldn't be surprised if there was an attack inside, which there never was. I but I mean, it was a—it was a—it was—but it, it was a fancy place. This was one of the places. If you know, Spencer Tracy wanted to be seen, he would go there because they had. There was always photographers from the local newspapers were there. It was the one of the trendiest clubs. Today they go to dance dance clubs. Back then they went to restaurant nightclubs where there was a floor show and yeah. uh, and a band.
0: And what's what's and
1: after it oh. was then built bought by Mitzi Shore and turned into a comedy club, the comedy store. Yeah. And the most visible haunting once happened when Sam Kinnison, uh, who died in a car accident, uh uh, was on stage, and Sam had whole, heard all these stories and was riffing one night about if, if there are ghosts here, I can battle you, I can take you on, and a slew of chairs that were stacked at one end of the stage moved across the stage as if attacking him. Uh, and right. the whole audience sees this. Wow. Uh, there are people going down into the basement. Uh, two ghosts have been down, seen down there. Uh, a woman, which they believe may have been the woman doing the illegal uh, abortions, and a guy named Gus, who was one of the enforcers. Uh, things still move around. As a matter of fact, I've taken their tour. Not always, but some Halloweens, the comedy store will do a backstage ghost tour, Uh Uh, I mean Halloween weeks, and they will lead you back through the back dressing room areas and down into the the cellar where the hauntings supposedly take place. A lot of people going down in will hear growlings and moans down in the basement.
0: I'm curious, have you heard, uh, obviously Mitzi Shore's son is Polly Shore, uh, who does comedy there. And Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen him step in and do some comedy when I've been at the comedy, uh, store as a, as a guest. Um, is there, um, has he ever revealed anything? Do you, are you aware that he, does he, um,
1: I've never heard, I've never heard him tell any stories. Yeah. Although she, uh, had she used to allow some some of her favorite comics to stay at her place when they were coming in from out of town, and some of the comics said that her house was haunted <laughs> as well. Wow! Uh, the, the the specters that are most often seen at the comedy store are is the most often seen is a guy in a World War Two era flight jacket, an aviator, what he would have worn as a bombardier. No one knows who he is. Just assume that someone passed through there during that period, during the world war world, you know, in the 40s. And three guys who look like they came straight out of the musical guys and dolls, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. dressed in black with the fedoras, have been captured on video during tapings of Evenings at the comedy store. Mm. But they are not characters, you know, actor characters uh, that they just think these may have been the kind of place that the mob had standing around during the Ciro's era.
0: Right. And I've seen some interviews of employees that uh, say they really don't like being in the basement because it's not that they've seen something, so to speak, but there's a very evil feeling that uh, is very uneasy for, for a lot of the employees is what I understand. Um, We're going to be right back. It is
1: certainly claustrophobic.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I'm going to look up that Halloween tour. If they do that again, we're definitely going to be there for that. Uh, We're going to take a short little break, and then we're going to get back. We're going to talk about the Magic Castle, which is a private club in Hollywood, uh, and some of the hauntings that take place there. And as well, we're also going to, Tom, you're going to have some places for people who may be visiting Hollywood, some hot spots that you recommend. So uh, we're going to get back to both of those fascinating stories right after this. And we're at the one hour mark. This fascinating interview does continue for our full access overtime members. To get full access, simply go to our website at spiritsandmoreradio.com. Under the full access section, you'll see an orange Patreon button. Click on that to find out more and hear the rest of the show. You can also join our live broadcast alert list. We email the day of the show when we are going to broadcast live so you can tune in and hear the full show and also have the opportunity to call in. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.